0: Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4? Let me get there as well with you. This morning I'm going to be speaking about, or the title that I've given the the sermon this morning is The Thinking Christian. The Thinking Christian, or a Christian who thinks. Now for some of us, I know that that's an oxymoron. That's what you've been told, right? Christians don't think. That's why you're a Christian. And and it gets juxtaposed with science or it gets juxtaposed with like, you know, real life or these other things which are thrown up. Like and, and and we completely miss the complete historic truth, the facts of history, that there's this sweep of if you go and look and you go and read where the schools came from, where where so much of, of what we hold in society is dear, science and technology, so much of it is off the back of Christian men and women who held firmly to the truth of God and held firmly to science. And you don't have to believe the lie that you've got to let go of one. It's an absolute fallacy. And so I want to speak this morning out of Philippians on the thinking Christian. Let's read together verse 8, chapter 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, your word is so powerful to speak, even just as we've heard it read in our worship time, and you're speaking individually to people, things that they're going through. You're speaking of your greatness. Who is this God who can make the dry bones come to life? And then, Father, we turn to Philippians and see that you show us a way to think, a new way to think that's different to just the stuff that we get shoved into our minds by our culture or whatever culture it is we're part of in the years to come. Thank you that your word cuts and pierces into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to make four simple points this morning. Very simple. The first one is this. Thinking is God's idea. Thinking is God's idea. This passage that we just read in Philippians is all about thinking. It's all about how you think and what you think about, what you spend your time thinking about. And the reason I think it's important to start here is that I've been part of a church culture where where it was said that we ought not to really think for ourselves. Has anyone else ever felt that subtle or overt pressure that you shouldn't really think too hard for yourself? Leave it to the learned guys. Leave it to the pastor guy. Leave it to the guy who studied theology. Let them think for you and just adopt what they say, right? Has anyone else felt that pressure? Or maybe it's, it's a more subtle pressure and you've been part of a, of a church where it's frowned upon to ask too many questions. Just trust the leaders. And what they're implying is that to ask a healthy God question is to not trust the leaders. So don't do that here. You know, maybe you felt the pressure to check your brains out at the door. Like when you you think all week long in your workplace, but you come to church and you leave your brain out there where the coffee stations are. Leave it out there and come in here and just absorb everything that I'm going to share with you or whoever's sharing has to say. You know, maybe we point to... The different signs of fruitfulness that we see, like look at how anointed that, that preacher is, or look how many people are following him. Surely they can't all be wrong. They can. History's proved that a few times. They really can. Surely the, the, the miracles or the revival that's breaking out there, surely that's God's endorsement of what this person is saying. And so we take everything that they say as, as truth or fact, or maybe... Maybe the reason that you don't think is not to do with feeling like just the pastor has to do it or any of these. Maybe it's because we've just got lazy and we've really narrowed down the stream of what feeds our minds. I remember a Christmas conversation with my family. We have a huge family, so we all get together and we have these deep debates. My family like controversy. They like debate. We like getting angry and we like forgiving each other. It's a lovely space. And then um, we were having this conversation around theology and reading and whatnot. And one of my family members popped up with a really opinionated idea that that you shouldn't read anything but the Bible. You shouldn't read theology books. You shouldn't read biographies. You should just read the Bible. And that was, that was one thing. But then what really annoyed me is that immediately after that, they went on to make it out as if it was a virtue. You're like, I just read the Bible. Has anyone experienced that? Just me and my family. No, it sounds like a few of you. I hear a few mutters. We just read the Bible. We've kind of graduated from, from theology. Guys, there are so many things which are written, which are powerful, which are helpful, and we narrow our minds. And yes, the Word of God is completely enough in one sense, but the, the, the men and women who've been reading it for hundreds of years and have lived lives that, that have been full of fruit and have died, so we know they finished well, read them for goodness' sake. Read the biographies. It's powerful. It opens our minds more fully to the word of God. The same Bible that we want to hold as a virtue. Absolutely. Philippians flies in the face of all of this crazy thinking that we should stop thinking. It flies in the face of it. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed as you've been reading and as you've spent months in this in this letter that Paul's been cultivating a Christian mind the whole way through. It's remarkable if you read Philippians how often he goes after the mind. Of those that he's writing to. Listen to it. Chapter 1 verse 9. And it is my prayer. So this is what he's praying for them. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Where is knowledge? It's a rhetorical question. I'm hoping you know the answer to that. Otherwise you're really wasting your time here this morning (laughs) with us. Chapter 2 verse 2. He says, complete my joy. How do you complete his joy? By being of the same mind. He says it again a little bit further on. I want you to be of one mind. Two verse five. Have this mind among yourselves. Three fifteen. Chapter three verse fifteen. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. In other words, we don't all agree on what we think, but Paul's saying, we know that we've got something here from God, we're more mature, and God's going to actually grow your mind until you think the same, can come across quite arrogant, we did a whole sermon on that, go and listen to that, it'll help you, chapter 4 verse 2, where we've been in the last few weeks, where he entreats Eodea and I entreat Sintica to agree in the Lord, these women are having a fight, and he, he, he goes after unity, and he says, I want you to, to agree in the Lord, another version says, I want you to be like-minded, or have the same mind, and then the famous one, chapter 4, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, and your minds, and you see how again, and again, he's going after these minds, and so if you've, if you it kind of been shunned as being a rebel for asking godly questions or shamed into church silence. If you've maybe just not paid attention to your mind and just thought, well, I'm just going to absorb YouTube stuff, you know, the preacher, whatever he says, well, good. That sounds like he knows what he's doing. He's got like 20,000 people following him. Cool. If you've done that, I, I want to remind you and encourage you this morning that not thinking is not God's plan for your life. It is not God's plan for your life. 1 John 4 verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. I think of 2 Peter 2 speaking about false prophets. How are we going to know if we don't think, for goodness sake, think? Cold start because stupid people let them. One Thessalonians five twenty says. A little bit late there, guys. But appreciate it nonetheless. One Thessalonians five twenty says, "Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. And then I love this little little part at the end. And then once you've tested it, hold fast what is good. Hold it tight." We must test, we must think, we must inquire, we must ask good questions. I want to encourage you, push one another for clarity. You know that moment around the brow where someone says it's just a throwaway stupid opinion. South Africans, hands up, all of you, we all do this. I want us to learn how to, in grace and carefully and thoughtfully, challenge one another. What did you mean? Don't necessarily do it in front of everybody, but thoughtfully, hey, hey, you threw out a racist comment. Did you, did you realize that was racist? No, I didn't. Okay, great. Can we talk about that? And we, and we push each other to be, to be thinking people. I want to encourage us not to stop conversations with emotional junk. You've all been there. You're having a really good conversation and someone throws in like a political agenda or like something which just shuts the conversation down. Like you're hurting my feelings. That's the vibe that, that is put on the table. I want to encourage us not to do that, that we can have robust conversations where we actually disagree at the end of the conversation. It's okay. It's okay. But we must be able to hold different viewpoints with grace. It's going to point to What we think about matters. So I believe that Paul's encouraging us to think. I believe the whole of God's word is encouraging us to think. But then it's not just thinking about, you know, what are you are going to do later? And you'll roast over and over and over, like if you're a food person, or like where are you going to the next restaurant? That's, that's in some way fine, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what are you going to think about? And this is a question of what feeds your mind? What feeds your mind? Something is feeding it. Let's read it again. Chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's, it's helpful for me as a metaphor to think about a lake and that's our mind. And then all these rivers, which are the tributaries, the tributaries and the rivers, which come into this lake. And what the lake becomes is dependent on what's in those rivers. If you send a salty river down to a lake, it's going to be salty lake. If you send a, r- a river full of rubbish down into the lake, there's going to be rubbish in the lake. If you send it full of fish, there's going to be fish. You get the metaphor. It's not complicated. I don't know why I'm going on and on about it. I do that sometimes. I just get stuck in a loop and I just keep on going and going. Forgive me. But what feeds your mind? What feeds your mind? When you look at this list that Paul puts for us so beautifully here in Philippians, how do your tributaries, if you have to look at the rivers of of stuff feeding um, your mind, how do they stack up against Paul's characteristics? When he says, I want you to think about everything that's true, I want you to think about the stuff that's true. I want you to spend most of your time thinking about that. That's speaking, it speaks of God's truth. So let's take some practical examples. Let's think about, you know, the current land claims going on in South Africa. Everybody? Anyone living under a rock? Okay, it's a pretty contentious thing. It's it's scary to think about, right? What is God's truth on that issue? Because there's a million different opinions depending on who you listen to. So you know that AfriForum... That they leaked that, that initial document right when this news story broke. There was that initial my, my dad and mom had have farms up in the towel and my uncle's got a whole bunch of farms and this and there are two of my mom and dad's farms on there, on that list. And so they thought this is imminently their farms are going to be taken away. So they came for dinner and I asked my mom and dad, we were having this conversation, and I said, What if the farms get taken away? And my dad, who's a believer, had the most beautiful response. He he looked at me and he said, Well then we just keep doing what we've always done. God's always been our source. And we keep trusting in God. Farms, no farms, land, no land. We keep trusting in God. I thought that was so beautiful because you can begin to believe all the lies and take your eyes off the truth that God is caring for us. Have you you ever considered that maybe... One of the best things that could happen in South Africa for the sake of the gospel is some of the instability that we're currently facing. So I remember going up to Zimbabwe. I think I've shared this before in in July last year. And um, we we had an evening with this one couple who hosted us. And and the lady said to us in over conversation, she said, do you know who the best evangelist in Zimbabwe is? And I, I thought maybe, you know, like it's a famous TV pastor type dude. She said, Mugabe. I said, what are you talking about? She said, Mugabe has sent more people back into the churches than any other evangelist in this whole place. <laughs> and she was being earnest. She was being serious. Instability causes people to say, that it, evaluate their lives and say, what is really important here? What's really important? So when you, when you let the tributaries, what are you going to listen to? Are you just going to listen to everything you read on News 24? Because then you're going to get so fueled up with fear that you're going to leave for Australia, right? Or we're going to listen to the truth of God on these matters and say, no, yes, we understand. We're not denying the facts. We're not living under a rock. Yes, we can see it. We we're praying about it in our prayer meeting this morning about the instability in our land. We keep crying out to God, but our trust is not based on that stuff. It's not based on what visa we can get. It's based on God. And that's that's letting truth speak into our minds. Paul says, Paul says, think about things that are honorable. In other words, things that are worthy of honor, things that are not vulgar. Uh, there's so many, <laughs> so many things we could speak about on this tributary, but the one that I just wanted to highlight, you know, you know this expression: Are people safe in your mouth? Have you ever heard that? In other words, um, is, does Tim know that when he's not there, that I'm the way that I speak about him is honouring, rather than like when when I'm with him to his face, I say all nice stuff, and when I'm not there, it's like gossip, and you know, yes, P.D., you have no idea about this Tim guy. He's actually not who he says he is. He's not, by the way. <laughs> Single man about to get married. Well done, bro. <laughs> we them in our home last night. It's a good couple right there. We're going to miss you guys, eh, really. Um, but I want, to, I want to challenge us and ask us, not just are people safe in our mouths, but are people safe in our minds? The way we think about people, do we think about them in a way that brings them honor? Paul speaks about thinking in a way that is just, fitting our biblical convictions of the way people should be treated. Do we think about these things? He speaks about thinking, thinking in a way that's pure. Parents, man, are you, are you guys with Kate and I stressing about the level of what's going on with our kids? like the, the breakdown of some of the innocence and the crazy stuff that they're getting exposed to. It wasn't my experience, and I'm not that old yet. The stuff my kids are being exposed to already, it's, it's hectic. We speak about it from time to time here, but if we're going to fill our minds with pornography, we're going to reap that in our lake. If that's the tributary that you're allowing to come into your mind, you're going to reap that. What about the movies that we watch? Is is the bar kind of slowly slipping? And we we get more and more vulgar movies with worse and worse language and stuff we would never let our kids watch or never watch with someone else from our our church community, but we're okay watching it there on our own or watching it on a plane somewhere. And what about the jokes we tell? I've, I've found that we, me personally as well, pay a high price for humor. I'm prepared to sacrifice a lot to make someone else laugh, you know, even if it's someone else's dignity, or just pushing that boundary of being a bit rude to be funny. What about our jokes? I think one of the best ways to kind of uh, indicate this one or measure this one is is how we talk around the bra. I think there's a lot of nonsense that goes on around those South African bras. And then Paul carries on. I'm not going to go through each of them like this, but he, he speaks about what's feeding our minds. Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it anything excellent? Is it anything worthy of praise? And then he says this, think about these things. Think about these things. Such a practical challenge, isn't it? And so Paul's not just it's not just, say, Paul, Scripture, because it's way wider than just this book of Philippians, is not just encouraging us to be thinking believers, but it's encouraging us to be Holy Spirit-filled thinking believers. We think with the Holy Spirit's breath on the back of our neck, thinking, is this pure? Is this noble? Is this good? Is this godly? Is this innocent? And we think about those things. Verse 9 and point 3, for those of you... Keeping track of my points. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And my third point is practice these things. Thinking is only the one part. It's a great start, right? Thinking is good. But thinking is not where it starts. The Bible is not a book about philosophy. It's not a book about thinking. It's a book about obedience, If you want to sum up the word of God, it's about obedience. So thinking is wonderful, but I love the way that Paul kind of phrases this in verse 9, where he it looks almost like he's in a classroom when he says the first two. So he says, what you've learned from us and you've received from us. And so the difference there is that learning is just, it's, it's this, right? I'm trying to help, I'm trying to teach you. It's a space where you've got a lecture hall and someone's trying to teach you something, something new you might not have heard. But then when you receive it, it means you've actually taken it in. You're actually absorbing it, digesting it. It's, a, it's not a, just a theoretical understanding, but there's a practical acceptance in your life. Saying, I, I believe this. I, want this. I want to put this into practice in my life. And it's, but it is more like a classroom setting. And then he says, but what you've heard and what you've seen in me, practice these things. Practice these things. And it's like he's saying, you know, you've heard me have conversations. You've heard me. I've spoken with you about these things. And then you've seen me. It's actually like, Paul is saying, I've been, I've been living among you, there's a lifestyle, it's, it's close enough to people that you're able to see the way that they live their lives, you're able to see their marriage, able to see their kids, able to see all these things, and that's part of why I'm and I'm cautious here, and I've said this a few times, but I'm cautious. But I am concerned about the growing trend to be fed predominantly from men and women via DVDs, via YouTube, that we have no idea of how they actually live their lives. And then it's scandal after scandal after scandal. And some of them are godly men and women, granted, and they're going to finish strong, but we can't just absorb. The majority of our our stuff from people that we have no idea how that man treats his wife or how that wife treats her husband. We have no bearing on their lives. They can't pastor us. They can't confront us in our own sin. And we can't confront them in theirs. But I love this little phrase, practice these things, and I love it because it reminds me that when we start out we're not good. If you're a new believer here this morning and you're struggling and you're feeling down, and you feel like you just never get it right, the reality is you probably don't yet. I've been watching my, my kids, and they're learning sport, and, man, they, they've got like three cohorts cord- three to rub together. Like, it's, it's, it's a real challenge to watch and be like, I can see one day when you're going to be playing tennis against me. You know, I, I can't wait for that day to happen. But right now, it's like swing and miss. Swing and miss, or the football, you know, and it's like they're trying to do the messy turn, or they're like, they're trying to just get it up on just two knees, you know, and just like, just, just twice, just get, just twice. And it's because they're learning, they're not good yet. And I want to encourage you, those of you who are new believers, it's okay that you're not mature yet, you're not meant to be. You're learning, you're going to practice, you're going to grow. I love that when Paul says, practice these things. He's encouraging us that it's going to take time. It's going to take acquiring the skill that we're going, to, we're going to practice and it's going to be effort. It's going to be effort. Christians, I want you to hear that. This walk is a walk of effort. If someone told you it was going to be simple, they lied. I'm sorry. It's hard work. It's improving. It's getting frustrated. It's falling down. It's sinning, but then getting back up again. So often, will you, will you throw that? There we go. Thanks. So often this is what we think. We think there's a date of salvation. Fantastic drawings, Devin, by the way. And then we think there's just, just, all we've got to do, that little question mark there is, all we've got to do is let enough time pass. If we just let enough time pass between when we come to know Christ and whenever we think we're going to be a mature Christian, all we're going to do is leave enough time, 20 years, 30 years, and we're going to somehow, I don't know, like through osmosis, we're going to become mature believers. Or maybe you like sleep with your Bible less than one meter away from your your head at night. And that's going to, what what is it you think is going to mature you? The scripture teaches that the date of salvation, when we come to know him, and the length of time is important, yes, of course. But it teaches that underneath that line is effort, is practice, is hearing, is receiving, actually taking it on board. Then it's doing. Then it's trying. Then it's failing. Then it's some more effort. Then it's facing trial, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I love. I was talking in a, in a we were in a group this week. There was seven of us or six of us, and we were having this discussion about human effort. And it reminded me of the story. Of Elijah. Do you remember Elijah goes up Mount Carmel? Okay. Let's remember the context of what's happening in that, in that story. It's a drought. It's a nationwide drought. It's been for years. Everyone's panicking. And so Elijah has the showdown with these other priests of Baal and they go up on Mount Carmel and then, and then they start to, they, 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 they reach an agreement that what they're going to do is they're going to kill a bull. They're going to build an altar. They're going to put it on the altar and the real God is going to come down and consume that offering. But they can't touch it with matches or anything. So that's the, that's the setting. Now I want you just to think about the effort involved for Elijah in that process. There's 500 prophets of Baal. Elijah stands alone. Maybe he had one or two helpers to help him. Okay. Now you're on the top of a mountain. How many of you last climbed a mountain? There's a lot of effort just getting up top there. Then he's got to cut up a whole bull I don't know if any. I don't want to get graphic, but I, I've done some hunting in my life, and I've just cut like a little biker up. It's a lot of work. It's hard work. This has got to cut up a whole bull for sacrifice. Then he's got to find rocks all over the mountain, looking for rocks to build this altar that he's got to put a whole bull on. It's huge. Then he digs a trench because it's not enough. He he starts to dig this trench around the the altar, and then he has to. This is my favorite part. He has to go and get water. Where do you find water in a drought on top of a mountain? You find it with a lot of effort. People are walking with jars full of water and he pours it over. He doesn't want it like moist. He wants it overflowing. He pours it over until the trench is overflowing. And then the fire of God falls upon his effort. It falls upon what he's been doing the whole day. And I think for me, it's always been such a beautiful picture of how God's grace and God's sovereignty and God's power comes and meets our human effort. And again, please, guys, I say this every week and I keep saying it because I know how easily and how quickly it gets misconstrued. I'm not talking about your salvation. Not for one moment am I speaking about effort-based, works-based salvation. I'm talking about our journey of sanctification, of maturing in Christ. And it takes a huge amount of effort. And Philippians has been hinting at it all the time. Listen to this in chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, that's the theme of the verse, obedience, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And thank God it doesn't end there. We did a whole sermon on this, on this text. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So who does it? Both. Who brings the effort? Both. Our efforts meet God's grace and God's empowering and we begin to see genuine change in our lives. Guys, ask anybody who you see that you that you can see a growth trajectory of of Christ in their lives go and ask them how it happened go and ask them how it happened they'll back me up the last point i want to make this morning is the four guards of our peace this text that we read starts with this little little word finally finally brothers and then he continues about your thought life. But what it shows is that he's actually wrapping up a section. He's been talking, and we've done this over the last three weeks or so, he's been talking about unity, he's been talking about prayer, he's been talking about being reasonable, lowering our expectations, having reasonable expectations one to another. And then, and then this morning we've been talking about Uh, Thought life. And this finally that he says, when he says, finally, brothers, he's reaching the conclusion of this passage, which is actually predominantly about peace. The passage is about peace in our lives. And then when you look at the bottom, at the end of verse 9, when he says, what you have learned and received, and heard, and seen in me, he's not just talking about the the thing we just read today, we're reading it like in a a tiny little piece, he's talking about the whole book, but specifically around this chapter 4, practice these things, and then here's the really significant word, and the God of peace, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you, And the reason that little and is so significant there is because it's the same as last week, is that some of these promises are conditional promises. They're not simply given to anybody that we send an Instagram post to with the verse. I mentioned this last week when it came to peace that passes understanding. You can't offer that to somebody who does not know Christ without Christ. They can't have a peace that passes understanding. What we hold up first is we say, You're in a hopeless situation. There's nothing that can change it. You can have no peace but Jesus. And when they have said yes to Christ, then He will give them a peace that passes understanding. And so when we are looking at peace and asking God how to God asking God how to guard our hearts. I think the and is significant because as we practice these things, we will find more and more and more peace in our lives. And I think at at the same time, it does something very valuable for us as it shows us the areas of our lives where peace gets robbed, where we get robbed. I I just want five volunteers. I want to do a little analogy to finish off. So five of you come and who'd like to come? Seb, thanks. I see that hand. Thanks, Kit, I see that hand as well. This is just the altar call right now. Come up, brothers. Come up. Come on up. Any of our ladies? So We're just having guys up here. There we go. There we go. Thank you. All right. Corey, why don't you come in the middle? So what I want you to do... Do you know like the the five on a dice, right? The number five. I want you guys to make that shape. So Corey's the number one. You're you're in the middle. And then four of you. You're the four guards of peace. Okay. Guards, not guards. There we go. One, two, three. Guys. Are you guys... What are you guys studying? Are you at university? I mean, like what? The number five on a dice, make the shape? I mean, it's not complicated. I know you're in the middle of exams. Okay. Let me not be rude to the volunteers. I'll never get any, any, any. I love you guys. You're the best. Can we just give them a hand? There, that's better. Okay. Now, I want you to face away from Kari. Uh, And this, so Kari's our piece. This is what we're desiring. This is what we want. This is the peace here that that we're seeking in our hearts. We're saying, God, we want peace. And I think that these four things that we've been looking at in Philippians are really powerful. So, Mark, you're going to be, you're going to be unity. And I think that I'll I'll come to you in a moment. So we've got unity. We've got joy. We've got prayer. And we've got our thought life over there. And I just want to finish off by just something visual because it wraps up so beautifully this thing. What were you again? Unity. So what, how does the devil come and rob, how does the devil come and rob peace? Think about in your own lives when it comes to this issue of unity. What does he come and do? I think one of the best ways that he knows how to get us out of a space of peace is to come and attack our friendships. Come and attack our unity. Come and attack those relationships. If he can get at you relationally, he can get you. So think about the stuff that keeps you awake at night. For me, often it's relational issues. It's when I said something stupid to someone and I haven't had time to phone them and say, you know what, I was dumb. That was a really dumb thing to say, I'm so sorry. It's when I didn't follow scripture and not sort out the fight I had with my wife before the sun went down. And now we're going to sleep huffing and puffing. And you know, lying on your back because you want to show them that you're still awake and thinking. (laughs) True story. And that's me, that's not Kate. After like 15 minutes, are you okay, babes? No, I'm not okay. (laughs) But that's unity, right? It's one of the ways, and I think when we practice unity, it guards our peace. When we practice keeping our relationships in a healthy space and our offenses short, when the time between when someone offends me and when I actually sort it out in my own heart and with them is, is quick, we guard our peace. We go home and you sleep beautifully. What were you? Were you joy? So Gertens' joy, think about the joy in our lives. And when, when the evil one comes and wants to rob us of peace, what does he do? He comes and brings lies, deceit, a lack of trust in God. He comes and says, your circumstances look like this and like this and like this. The scripture says he's the accuser of the brethren. You're sinning and that's why you've got this. This is what's going on in your life. Do you remember two weeks ago, I think it was, we spoke about the difference between happiness And joy. Happiness hinges upon our circumstance. What's going on? Well, that's what's going to make you happy. That's what's going to make you sad. Have you just lost your job? Have you just whatever it may be? Joy is the space where in God, in Christ, we're able to come and say, Whatever the cards on front of the table, on the table in front of me say, I'm still going to say, God, you are good. God, I trust you. And that joy begins to powerfully preserve our peace. Right? Or rob our peace when we're in a place where we feel hopeless, depressed, anxious, stressed all the time, stressed. I know you're going through a season, sir, at work, or ma'am. I know you're going through a season, but how long is your season? You've told me that for five years, and you're still just as stressed as five years ago. That's not a season anymore. That's our lifestyle. What were you? Prayer. 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 You guys can turn around so you can actually see people and just be part of the, part of the moment, you know. Part of prayer. Don't, haven't you ever noticed how hard it is to pray? I heard Michael Eaton explain something so beautiful. And I mean, this, this might sound contentious, but he says, he says in no other religion is it as hard to pray because in, in no other religion are you as as relentlessly when you do pray. As believers, when we pray, it actually changes something. It brings incredible peace. Have any of you gone into a time of prayer feeling so anxious, feeling so overwhelmed and you pray and 20 minutes later, half an hour later you come out and you're like a completely different person? Have you ever had that? (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) But it's the area where, where the devil comes to remove our peace. And it's the area where God is saying that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then this morning we have thought life. And thought life has a profound impact on whether we have peace or not in our lives. What, we're gonna, what are we going to fill those tributaries with? What are we going to allow? And it is a choice. If you're feeling like a victim this morning, I want to tell you it is a choice what you think about, what you choose to think about. And yes, some of us have had it easier than others. I get that. But what we choose, what, what we allow as the tributaries into our lives are going to be whether we have peace or not. And I think this is one of the ones that that the evil one gets after more than anything. Gets into your thought life over and over and over again. Guys, thank you so much. You can sit down. I know that's so simple, but it's so profound for me that there's those, those gods of our peace. It's a practical gospel. Come on, let's finish off this morning. I want you just to do this. For three minutes, I'm just going to ask you to be quiet. Just don't talk to anybody. Just get out your smartphone if you've got one, or hopefully a pen and pencil if you've got that, even nicer. Whatever you've got that you can write something down. And just for three minutes, I want you to just ask yourself two questions. What has God spoken to you today, last week, and the weeks preceding that? What has God spoken to you, and what is He asking you to do with that? just write those two things down and we break bread together and we're done this morning. I want to help us change things in our lives, God. Father, and then thank you that you don't just speak but that you empower us to do the good works you've planned for us, the conversations, the acts of kindness, kindness, sharing our faith, fighting our sin. Thank you, God, that you empower us. Lord, as these scriptures this morning and these words sit in our hearts, Lord, I want to pray that they would bear fruit, that they wouldn't be an interesting idea or just a fleeting thought that next week or the week after we have no idea anymore what we even wrote down or thought about but holy spirit i ask that you'd come and make those take those things that people have written down on their pages or thought in their minds you'd come and push that seed deep into our hearts water it by your grace shine on it lord let them grow let them grow father would we see a congregation of people growing in maturity lord Growing it when we look in ten years' time we see men and women who have grown tremendously because of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. Thank you, Jesus. We ask these things in your wonderful name. Amen and amen.